This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I am joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you? I'm not bad, mate. How's things with yourself? Yeah, really good, thank you. Um, What's your favourite part about Christmas? Favourite part about Christmas? It's got to be the food, hasn't it? It has to be, or Correct maybe the boxing, answer. or maybe the Boxing Day football. I don't know, or the combination of the. Does pair. that count as about Christmas? It's after Christmas. Of course, it, of course, it does. It's a Christmas tradition. Boxing Day football. Come on. What are you doing? Are you, are you are you going to a game on Boxing Day? I'm going to be. At, I am indeed. Uh, Halifax with Grimsby. I am. Sheffield Wednesday versus Burton Albion for me. Oh God, that brings about nightmares of New Year's Day. Of, on, uh, it does. On it really does. 18? 2018 it was. Yes, it, yes was. it was. What a, what a day um, that was. Yeah, I love Christmas. I'm feeling a bit Christmassy today. Um, Christmas is only 20 days away now. I like Christmas. Christmas is a big thing in my family and in this household. And I'm excited. The tree went up last weekend, which I have to admit I think is a bit early. But it's my, it was my missus's birthday last weekend and she loves Christmas. And I didn't have the heart to tell her that we couldn't put the tree up on her birthday weekend. So the tree went up. Yet. No, I think this weekend is probably the sweet spot, or maybe next weekend. Um, but I think like in November is a bit early. But yeah. it is what it is. We we went for it. I wasn't going to tell her no. Um, and yeah, I'm excited for Christmas. And I'm excited to talk about Championship football as well, which we're going to do for the next hour or so. Thank you, as always, to those that are, that are listening. And uh, make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed on whatever platform you find your podcasts in, on Apple, on Spotify, Google or wherever else you get your pods. Um, and also make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. And we're going to be breaking down another hectic weekend of Championship action. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. We're going to start, George. I usually, it's usually quite easy when I put in the running orders together to pick the top game. I think there's a few contenders this week. I've gone for Coventry 1, West Brom 2 in my editorial wisdom. Big game um, for both clubs, I felt, particularly West Brom, with the tension that's sort of building at the Hawthorns and has built certainly over the last few weeks. First away victory for the Baggies since September the 28th. You may remember them winning 4-0 at Cardiff City um, on a blustery Wednesday evening. Um, or it might have been Tuesday, it was midweek, either way. And a much-needed win for them. And deserved as well, I think, too. I think it was an improved performance. I think they were more effective. I think Coventry struggled to deal with the direct play, the long throw-ins. Um, and Carlin Grant showing great composure with the first goal, lovely ball through to him. Coventry's high line getting exposed on this occasion. Grant running through, really good composure. So I think it's a bit of an underrated finish, to be honest. Quite a few players could have, could have snatched at that one. Lovely finish. We have to say there was huge controversy and a huge stroke of fortune with the second, of course, handball from Kipre. But in fairness, I have to say, I don't think it's a refereeing error. I don't think on first viewing, given the amount of bodies that are between, well, just in the area generally, but between the referee and the, the ball, I don't think that's an error in any case. I don't think I'd have spotted that on first viewing. Yes, VAR would have picked it up. That's a debate for another day. We're not going into VAR in the championship today. We don't have long enough. But I don't. I, I think that's just one of them where, yeah, it's unlucky, but I, I think you just have to take that on the chin and hope you get one in your favour during the course of the season. I, I don't see that as an error. But it was a bit fortunate. And then from then on, West Brom looked relatively confident, relatively uh, comfortable. And they saw out the win relatively easy as well, despite McFadden's header um, bringing Coventry 
uh, to within a goal, reducing the arrays. Really big win for West Brom this field. And I felt like not only was it an important win, but I do think the performance was better because there's no doubt the performance levels have dipped over the last um, probably six weeks or so, if we're being honest. The faith in Valerie Ismail from some supporters has, has, shake, has been shaken. It's wavered slightly. But big win, players performing well. And, and I have to say, with, with a Fredbear midfield, no Livermore, no Malumbi, no Snodgrass, um, the youngster Hickman playing in midfield alongside Alex Mowat. So a um, bit of a change in setup, but it, it came through and big win for the Baggies. Yeah, definitely. It was, it was much better than what we've seen in recent weeks. It really was. I I watched the game on and off. I was working at the same time, but I had it on on my desk at the same time, keeping a close eye as possible as I could while I was working. But I was impressed by West Brom from what I saw. And like you say, not only was it a good away win against a Coventry side, as we know, have been very, very hard to beat in their own backyard this season. Only Swansea had won there before. So that was, that was important. But like you say, the performance was there. It really was. They took the game to Coventry and Obviously, did it in a direct sense with Robinson feeding Grant for the first one. Obviously, a long throw causing a little bit of confusion for the second one. Obviously, in the laws of the game, it shouldn't have stood. But you you have to give some sensitivity to the referee in that in that situation. Like you say, it's impossible in real time to see through that much of a crowd. Much less box, obvious so. than the one last weekend at Preston, for example. Yeah, I would I, I would agree with that, and that that did cross my mind actually when it happened yesterday. But with VAR, it wouldn't have happened. But we don't have VAR. And like I say, you've got to give a little bit of sensitivity and sympathy to the referee in the, the heat of the moment. So it is what it is. But overall, for West Brom, a really big win. One that they hugely needed. But at the same time, it's weird. Even though performance levels have dipped in recent weeks, at the same time, they've only lost one of their last six games. It's It's the draws that have been... The damaging blow for them. They've drawn three of the last goals, six, haven't they? In particular, they I think have. That's been the frustration and for some supporters. They have, and I'm looking at it now, and it that was yesterday was the first time that they scored more than um, one in a game since the 23rd of October when they beat Bristol City three 0 So it has been a long time coming. And at the start of the season, we know that the goals were flowing pretty well, and they looked a really well organised team and looked dangerous when going forward. And the thing about West Brom is I think that the chances have been there. They've just lacked that clinical number nine to stick them away. But in Carlin Grant, he's shown signs of promise. A lot of it, as we know, has come off the left-hand side. But he was playing, it seemed, in a more central role on the, the weekend. And it proved it with his, with him latching on to uh, Robinson's through ball. So for me, it was a, a really big win for West Brom and one that they fully deserved. I thought it was a, a solid away performance against a, a good side that are up there for a reason this season, especially for their home form. So credit to Valerina's mail and it showed at the full-time whistle that it, it was really like a big weight lifted off his shoulders. The pressure had been mounting a little bit. It was four without a win, three games without a goal and when you're challenging for promotion, those sort of stats are obviously not going to bode well. So a big win. A big result, but as for Coventry, Mark Robbins admitted it himself. He wasn't pleased with the performance. Didn't feel that his side dealt with West Brom well enough. Uh, it was an out-of-sorts display from Coventry, to be fair. They did threaten a late um, a late comeback, just as they do pretty much every week, with another goal inside the last 10 minutes, it must be said. Thumping header as well from Carl McFadzine as well. It must be said it was a fantastic header from him. But I think for Coventry, it was just one of those days where they were simply beaten by the better side. Didn't do a lot wrong but just West Brom's quality showed through in the end. But for, for the Baggies, a big win and one that they, they desperately need after a, a bit of a blip. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I would totally agree with that. And Mark Robbins, I think, in fairness, was pretty open and honest about his assessment of the game and felt his side just didn't deal with the, the aerial and direct threat that West Brom pose. And it's not new information, but I suppose dealing with it is another matter entirely. And it's just not just the set pieces, the long throws from Furlong as well, causing problems. Absolutely. And for Coventry, they're now out of the top six after results today as well. One win in six for them. They have had a little bit of dip in form, and I think some of the key players have, have had their dip as well. Guy Carez in particular, he's going for a little bit of a, a lean spell in front of goal. And although the home form's very good still, one win in six, as I say, away form's not been particularly spectacular, even at their best at points this season. I think they're, they're going through their first sort of mini wobble, but, but it's so congested in that pack that even if they, you know, went on a few more games without a win. They wouldn't need to string many wins together to get themselves back right in the thick of things. It just makes you wonder, doesn't it, a little bit if maybe that start that they had is now going to catch up with them a little bit. And I think, of course, it's it's incredible the position that they're in. Any Coventry City support at the start of the season would have accepted that. But they are beginning to just lose that little bit, bit of momentum. But at the same time, they've only lost one of their last five games. They had drawn three going into the defeat to West Brom, so there is that to mention. But one defeat in five, it's not a, a, the worst return in the world. But for Guy Carres, like you say, he's on a think he's on a bit of a drought now. I think it's nine games without a goal for him, which uh, seemed unimaginable only a few weeks ago. So I'm sure he'll uh, get back amongst the goals and get over this minor blip. But like you say, for Coventry, it's a it's a disappointing result for them. But it's important to remember that at the start of the season they would have accepted being in the top six nearly at Christmas. They would have snatched your hand off for it. So you've got to give them credit. You've got to give them praise. Remember the good results they have had. But on this day, I think it was just a case they were simply beaten by by a side who executed their game plan very, very well. Yeah, absolutely. Queen's Park Rangers nil, Stoke City 2 next up. I, I feel like at the minute there's no form whatsoever in the table between like 4th and 12th. Like you could put any combination of those sets of teams, even as far down as like 14th, to be honest. And anyone could beat anyone at the minute. It's it's just so congested. There's teams that have dips in form and teams that are going up in form. But I feel like you could smash any two teams together in this in this sort of pile-up of teams and anyone could beat anyone. QPR, really good at home. Stoke, back-to-back defeats. Um, QPR also buoyed from a late comeback at Derby on Monday night. Full-time scoreline, QPR, nil, Stoke City 2. And there wasn't a lot in this game, if we're being fair, but two moments of real quality and class showed for Stoke. Tyrese Campbell, so good to see that he's not lost that composure in front of goal. I have to say, I don't think there's many championship players that running through on goal, I'd be more confident one-on-one of scoring. His composure for such a young player, right foot or left foot, is, is pretty unmatchable at this level, I think, to be honest. He does feel like the, because he's so two-footed, I feel like he's he's just a Premier League player in waiting. We just maybe if it has a good second half to the season that we'll see in the summer. But so good to see he's not sort of coming back and, and snatching at chances as you know a player might do after a long layoff. He's coming back and he just looks ice cold in front of goal. Um, great composure on the goal, gorgeous ball through from Vrancic as well, and then Vrancic sealing the win with a lovely finish with his right foot. I have to say, I think Vrancic is definitely up there with the signings of the season. I know we've said this on multiple occasions, but he's just added an extra dimension. And I cannot wait, and this probably will never happen because Stoke has seemingly cursed with injuries. Vrancic, Nick Powell, Tyrese Campbell in the same team. 
Now, last season, we said so many times they lacked match winners when um, when Campbell was injured. If they could get all three of those in the same team and with the balance they've got in the 3-5-2 anyway, and it'd be nice if they got Suter in there as well, but obviously he's going to be out for, for the rest of the season. That's a team. And it's just whether they can get people fit to get them on the pitch enough. And Vrancic, to be fair, I have to say, I've been impressed with Vrancic and Sawyer's working as a pair because you would probably think, do they do two similar roles? Is there enough dynamism in that midfield, enough energy, enough legs? But they seem, I think Sawyer's has, has probably impressed me with how athletic and mobile he's been on off the ball, probably more so than I expected. And Vrancic has talk, sort of taken up the Sawyer's role from years ago. Um, and, and Sawyer's is the one being a bit of a water carrier. But Vrancic just uses quality, sublime through ball, Great finish for the second with his weaker right foot as well. And Stoke, big response. And I feel like Stoke do this. They, they, they pull out some really big wins and impressive victories. And then I'd say we had two narrow 1-0 defeats. And it depends how many of those match winners they can get on the pitch. Because I believe if they could get Powell, Vrancic and Campbell on the pitch consistently for a run of games, I think they'd finish in the top six. Where they don't have those players, they can look a little bit ordinary and a little bit stodgy going forward at times. So I think that that is huge. And you could say that about a lot of teams, to be fair. You need your best players on the pitch to win football matches. That's not groundbreaking analysis. But I just feel like for Stoke in particular, it's something that's dogged them over the last 18 months in particular. And that's why we saw such a dip. It's worth saying that obviously there was such a, a defining moment in this game where Charlie Austin, of course, missed his penalty. Really poor penalty, I might as well add. Good save by um, Adam Davies in goal. But Stoke sort of weathered that storm. QPR did have chances in the game and if they'd scored it, certain moments in the game, it could have finished very differently. Two evenly matched sides and, and Stoke get the three points. Yeah, absolutely. Bang on the money. And I think I'll start with what you said about, obviously, this this race for seemingly the about, what, fourth to about sixth is basically like a hot potato. Who who wants it? Who wants to take these these places? And we'll come on to a team that obviously is seemingly doing its very best to retain their place at the, in a little while. But for Stoke City, I mean, it's a it's a really important victory to to take that today. And I'll be honest, I, I didn't see that coming. I was I was back in QPR today. I thought they were going to build on that victory at Derby in, in on Monday night and and continue their good form. And obviously, Stoke turned up with a game plan, and executed it to perfection. And Mario Vrancic was the architect of it all. And I've got to agree with you. I think he's been one of the signs of the season. I felt in the summer when they got it over the line and they got it done. I thought. For a free transfer, that is a that is a very very good addition for a Stoke City side. He used his class. I thought he was brilliant when he was at Norwich City, and today he just summed it up to perfection. He, he played a wonderful pass for Tyrese Campbell, who, as you said, looked calm and composed as ever. But that's a sign of a good player who's been out for so long to re- retain that that sharpness in front of goal and and finish it with such quality and confidence was really pleasing to see for him because he gives Stoke a massive lift. That's for sure. But and then the second goal was was just sublime, lovely curling finishing to the bottom corner out of the reach of Dieng. So for me, Vrancic is now seemingly the player that Stoke have got to keep fit for me to, to just keep the momentum going. Obviously, the injury curse on that club is quite remarkable. You can't help but feel sorry for them in a way. You really can't. They've lost so many key players over the last year or so at different stages. But there's something about Mario Vrancic that just makes him for me, one of the best players in the championship at what he does. There's no doubt about it. And I think looking at probably free signings of the summer, I think he's got to be considered in terms of his effectiveness and his impact. He's got to be up there with the likes of Jamie Patterson and, and Gary Cahill in the respect of what they've done for their respective teams. 
I don't think there's many better than what he's done. But the thing for Stoke is as well, even though they've had these two defeats in the last couple of weeks at Bristol City and at home to Blackburn, they've won four of their last six without conceding a goal. So it's not he's not bad form at all. Four wins no, in six. They're all conceded two conceded two goals in that time. So they are getting things right in, in both boxes. And they have got the ability to win efficiently. They're, weirdly enough, their biggest win this season is actually 3-1. That, that's the biggest thing. They've not won anything more though than a, a two-goal scoreline. So they don't renown for, for hammering teams as such, but they're efficient. They, they know how to grind things out and get wins on the board. So it's the way to do it for Stoke. But at the end of the day, whether you win 5-0, 1-0, it, it counts the same. You only get three points. So for Michael O'Neill, it's a really big result, that one today in it. For me, it kind of sends out a statement that we can go to a team like QPR who have been in such terrific form. 31 consecutive games they'd scored in as well. Let's not forget that. First side to stop QPR from scoring since March when Huddersfield beat them. That is a, that is a really, really impressive statistic, it must be said. And moving forward for Stoke now, they've got, they've got some interesting games coming up, but certainly towards the end of December, some very winnable ones. They've got Middlesbrough at home next weekend. Be a tough one. Middlesbrough on the up under Chris Wilder. Then they go to Coventry. Then they go to Barnsley. And then they're at home to Derby. So the Christmas period is a real opportunity for me, in my opinion, for Stoke to lay down a marker and cement their place going into the second half of the season in this playoff picture. But like you say, it's, it's for, for me and yourself, it's vital that Stoke keep these key players fit. They've got Campbell back. Obviously, Nick Powell is a way off from returning. So, but like you say, if they manage to get them three together on the on the same pitch at the same time, it could be very interesting. It's and there are many sides that are competing for the top six. They've got such a good combination like that. And let's not forget Stephen Fletcher. The goals haven't exactly been flowing for him this season, but he still does a job. He was very unlucky hitting the post this afternoon. He's still got a part to play in all of that. Jacob Brown as well. So Stoke have got a very good array of attacking talent. And as well, they're keeping the ball out of the net on the hole at the other end. So Michael O'Neill, for me, at the minute, things looking very rosy for Stoke. And like you say, could this year finally be the year they at least threaten to get back into the Premier League? Perhaps Blackburn won Preston North End <laughs> nil. Uh, Big Ben keeps Rovers form going up to fourth as they are, you know, not like that. Have I taken all the... the... Chilean flair out of uh, Ben Barrett and Diaz by calling him Big Ben. Oh dear, shut up. Okay, um, so Barrett and Diaz, it, it, it's almost going under the radar how good he's been a little bit, as daft as it sounds, as much it's as we've ridiculous. spoken about it, just because Mitrovic just scores every game without fail, um, although he did score this weekend, but Barrett and Diaz, 17 I think that is for the season now already. How many? Can you remember a time where we've had so many players like over like the 12, 13 I don't know. It's been remarkable. before Christmas? And it's it's worth pointing out as well, Brereton Diaz, 17 goals in 21 games. But he's only got one assist, which is weird. You'd think he had not many penalties in there either as well, which is good. No, there's not been many. There hasn't been many. But bearing in mind, prior to this season, he'd only scored nine for Blackburn. I think he. I think the comment. I think the AFL on Quest person said he scored as many this season as in his last five years combined. It's been and he's halfway through this season. Exactly. It makes you wonder what what he could achieve. And I think, obviously, every Blackburn fan in the world was worrying the worst when, uh, fearing the worst, I should say, when uh, Adam Armstrong left in the summer. I mean, he stepped up to the plate in some fashion. He's been outstanding. And, he, and the thing that make, that really makes me such a big fan of him is that he's capable of scoring such a variety of goals. 
He's capable of heading the ball. He can shoot with both feet. He's reasonably quick. He's just something about him that I think makes him very, very unique, say, to different to the likes of Solanke and um, Mitrovic. And let's not forget, he's only 22. Yeah, he's probably this, a bit more versatile, isn't he? He can play sort of anywhere across that front line. Exactly. He can play wide. He can play through the middle. He could even play as a number 10 if required because he's got that creative ability in his locker. But at 22, it really does feel for me like he's a, a Premier League player in waiting and going to follow in Armstrong's, Armstrong's footsteps. Yeah, absolutely. And Blackburn up to fourth now. Well, they were fourth anyway, but variously dropped as results came through at the weekend. Um, still fourth. And considering how tight things is, they've got a cushy three-point lead on the top six. And that shouldn't be... <laughs> that sounds daft, but at this point, three points is a fair gap, to be honest. Um, the back three is working quite well, which has obviously been a, a change of shape since the uh, the mullering at, at the hands of Fulham. Harry Pickering's getting a lot of plaudits at left wing back after coming in in the summer, of course, from Crew. Well, he, he joined before then, but he went back on loan to Crew. So, so it's coming permanently into the side at left back, left wing back. He's been impressive. And they've only conceded two goals in the last five games, George, since they were obviously mullered by Fulham. Um, three clean sheets in that time as well, which is very impressive. And more 1-0 wins and more scrappy victories like this uh, gives them more chance of finishing the top six. Because I think we all know going forward, Blackburn have got enough to be a playoff team. I think the questions lie at the other end, and right now they're answering that. Yeah, I would totally agree, and I always say it, those scrappy 1-0 wins, they're the best wins you can get. Especially shows... against a rival. Yeah, absolutely. You're capable of digging them out and grinding them out. You know that you're onto something and, and heading in the right direction. But I think for me, and and you've got to look at this, I mean, when, when you lose 7-0 on, on a night like that so heavily, it must be so demoralising on your men, on your mentality and the, the confidence of the team. And it, could have quite, well. it could have quite easily signalled the start of a really torrid run for Blackburn. They've responded emphatically. They've taken 13 points from 15 since that, since that game. They've conceded just two goals. I mean, even prior to the Fulham game, they, they'd won two in a row. So they, they've been in good form for the best part of a month and a half now. They they really are turning the screw, and like I said a few minutes ago, it's like a hot potato this battle for the top six. But Blackburn for me are the side that I think are looking the most likely to stay there because not only are they winning games at the minute and, and recording clean sheets, their home form is pretty good. Not many sides do tend to go to Ewood Park and get an easy ride or get a victory. I mean, obviously Fulham exception, but overall. Only this season, only um, West Brom and Fulham have gone to Ewood Park and actually won. So it proves nearly halfway through the season that only two sides have been there and got all three points. It proves that they're making their home place a fortress and that's what you need. But for me, I think you've got to go back, like we discussed last week, you've got to give Tony Mowbray credit. He's tweaked things, he's revamped the squad in terms of its style and and it's working. It is working, so you do have to give him credit for that. But... It does at the same time, even though, of course, it's a team effort. You win as a team, you lose as a team. Where they'd be without Brereton Diaz's brilliance in front of goal, who knows? But the, the main point is they've got him. He's doing what he's paid to do and he's been absolutely outstanding. And realistically, what's to say he can't catch Alexander Mitrovic in the form he's in at the minute? It's now uh, five goals in five games. He's looking confident and he's flying. So for me, I think he's got a really good chance. And for me, Blackburn, like Stoke City, wants to watch in that playoff race. 
Yeah, I think they're the most interesting team for me, Blackburn, because I think of all the teams in that race, I think a lot of people would have probably the most doubts over Blackburn. So I'm intrigued to see how this run sort of develops and keeps going. Yeah, it's, you know what? it's possible. Yeah, probably the most, not surprising, but impressive result or performance I've seen this weekend was actually Millwall, and they beat Birmingham 3-1 at the Den. And I feel like this was a really big win for Millwall, because I, I, as a neutral, was starting to get a bit disillusioned with Millwall. Because they just draw every game one all. Like I don't think they've had another result all season. It's just one all draws every game, and you just wonder when's it going to click. Like they've never been too far away from the playoffs, but you just want a bit more. And I think like this was probably one of the best performances from my point of view that I've seen from Millwall this season, and some really impressive performances across the pitch. It wasn't just oh Jeb Wallace has scored another worldie and pulled them out of the bag. Uh, Billy Mitchell and George Evans keeping some bigger names out of the centre of midfield, and they were both really good. George Evans in particular is a player that I've never particularly been that keen on. I've never really rated him, whether that's at Derby, whether that's playing at centre-back or in central midfield. But I have to say he was really impressive in central midfield, spraying the ball about. Um, and Mitchell provides that energy, that um, dynamism off the ball to, to, to really be aggressive and win the ball back. And they were really impressive. Dan McNamara at right wing-back as well, I thought was really impressive. And Tom Bradshaw's hitting some form up front. I've always quite liked Tom Bradshaw, but I always feel like he's never had a sustained run of games to really prove that he can score the goals for Millwall. They paid about a million pounds from him from Barnsley after he had a good season at Barnsley and they got relegated. And I feel like he'd sort of play a couple of games, might score one goal, not score for a couple, back on the bench. And it's hard to really get your rhythm and really start to make an impact from the start if you're just coming on in the 70th minute consistently. So... Good to see him getting a run and scoring some goals. Um, and George Evans, as I say, he was probably the star man for me. And his goal in particular was the pick of the bunch from a Millwall perspective. Lovely finish. I just feel like this was a big big win for Millwall. It was an impressive performance, a dominant. And they don't often score three goals either. No, they don't. It was a, quite a, quite an occasion for Millwall, really. When you, when you take into account, they don't tend to score many. And They've needed that. They really have. They've been struggling of late. They've not been going well. They lost at Hull last weekend and things have been kind of a little bit sluggish for Gary Rowett. And you, you kind of felt maybe he's just beginning to get under a sense of pressure here if he doesn't turn this around quickly. But as I said at the very start of the season, Millwall for me are a, a mid-table side going nowhere but need to make that next step somehow. But yeah. what I saw on Saturday was, and, was an encouraging just performance. Just on Rowett, sorry, just while we were talking about Rowett, I feel like when managers like Rowett with mid-table clubs that should be mid-table clubs but have been sort of flirting with the playoffs but don't have the quality, the expectation yeah. shouldn't really be there that they get in the playoffs. You get this this little word that comes up every time, has it gone stale? And that's that's what goes. And I think Rowett was at risk of, if he'd gone another sort of six games with like four draws and a, a one win and a defeat in it, which is quite a Millwally run, really. I think we might have started to have questions of has he mm. taken them as far as he can, even though really, you know, the tenth in the table, they're not far off the playoffs. Yeah. They shouldn't really expect to be any higher. But yet, you know, a couple of good seasons and suddenly the expectations levels go up. That's the thing, isn't it? I mean, say, say Millwall had, had lost on on Saturday and then I don't know, lost again, another draw, and Gary Rowett did get the sack. Who would they turn to to realistically get more from this group of players who I don't think are good enough to, to break into the top six, but are certainly not bad enough to be in a relegation scrap? That's the thing. Millwall are very, very middle of the road. There's no 
no either way for them sort of thing. And that's what I mean. I just think they need something to kick them on to that next level. But it all depends on investment, doesn't it, in the in the transfer windows. But as for the game itself, a really good win for them. They desperately needed it. But the, the mad thing is, they've not been losing that many. It's just the draws that they have for several years just continue to kill them. They, they are the draw specialists of effectively English football in, in a roundabout way. But I was impressed by what I saw at the weekend. The first goal was very, very well constructed from the training ground, it must be said. Maybe a slight bit of fortune with the way it landed to Murray Wallace, but he still had to convert it and he took it well. Bradshaw's finish was nice. George Evans's finish was superb. I thought really, really smart finish that one. Um, and I thought uh, on the balance of what I saw, Millwall were fully fully worthy winners. They played really well, took the game to Birmingham, um, conceded a, what for me was an outstanding goal. It must be said from Troy Dean. It was a lovely sweeping move from Birmingham. And if that was in the Premier League, match of the day would have been playing that over and over again. It was an emphatic finish, but the build-up was just sublime. But for Millwall, a really, really important win. And one, one you feel that they, they had to win. They, they'd gone four games without a win, but they'd only lost one of them four. So it's the draws continuously that are, are killing them, but a really big win for them. And, and then you look forward for Millwall now, and they've got to build on this victory that they got on on Saturday and, and move forward. And, and when you look at their upcoming fixture list, it's, it's an opportunity. They've got Peterborough away next weekend, and they've got Preston at home. It's two winnable games, both sides in very poor form that they're up against. So for Gary Rowett, I think he's got to use this now as a, as a turning point and a platform to build on because if they don't, they're back to square one again, stuttering and, and like you say, probably a little bit stale. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I like Gary Rowett. I like giving managers time. Um, but you do, I think as football fans, generally you can sort of get lost in wanting more. And I think mm. they're at risk of that. Yeah, as you say, Deeney's goal was sublime for Birmingham. They're they're in a little bit of a weird spot at the minute. They've they've got the one winning five, but there's draws in there, and all all of the defeats have been by the one goal. And feels like they're just playing very low margin football at the minute. Birmingham, um, not not a, an abundance of quality. Although the the goal, of course, was was pretty spectacular and a great flowing move. I think they've missed Tahiti Chong's natural quality coming yeah. into that. Um, and and they're sort of a bit of a gone back a bit to last season a little bit where it's that, it's that, that flair, isn't it? It's that flair, speed, and a bit of creativity that they've lacked, and obviously Chong had all of that, and and losing him has has massively affected them. But you've got to get on with it. There's no excuses. You've you've got to deal with what happens. We know it happens in football, but I think in January they've got to they've got to bring somebody in that is going to offer that little bit of speed, bit of, bit of trickery, and a bit of that you know that little bit of unexpectedness of you don't know what's going to happen. That just that bit of a flair player. That's all that's missing for Birmingham because. Let's be honest. If you if you supply the strikers, they're going to score goals. They they have got a good crop of championship strikers there. Yeah, absolutely. Cardiff City two, Sheffield United three. Back to back wins for Paul Heckingbottom and a superb fight back at the Cardiff City Stadium after a pretty stonewall red card for Sean Morrison. I don't think anyone would be um, debating that one. I have to say, a foot Cardiff's goal was quite nice. Lovely bit of innovation from Joe Rolls, sort of flick the ball up and find Mark Harris. Lovely chest control and finish. Um, but obviously the game turned completely on that red card, which, as I say, was a definite red card for Morrison. And then a really good fight back from the Blades. It feels like every time we do Sheffield United analysis, we could just rinse and repeat. Morgan Gibbs-White was the best player on the pitch. Morgan Gibbs-White, once again, was the best player on the pitch, George. Um, sublime solo goal. Two assists. The second goal... 
for Billy Sharp, I have to say, was lovely football. I thought Jaden Bogle's passing that move was really nice. Um, gives White on a plate, Sharp taps it in. And then McGoldrick on the counter-attack for, for 3-1. And um, I think it just shows that although Sheffield United are going to be very much geared to the future and looking ahead, McGoldrick and Sharp are still going to be a big part of their present right now. And they've got as much championship goal-scoring pedigree as anyone, certainly in the last few years. Feels like there's a few players sort of coming to form. They've gone back to 3-4-3. That's got Chris Basham back in the team, for example, and they look more solid for it. Jaden Bogle's starting to win that battle at right wing back over uh, George Baldock, which is interesting because Baldock's had um, the better of him since he came to the club. Nice to see those two fighting out. And I feel like we're starting to see the best of Conor Hurahan as well in central midfield with John Fleck out the team at the minute. You would worry potentially is Norwood and um, Hurahan too similar? But it's working at the moment. Hurahan's starting to come into some form. Be interested to see what he does with Sander Burge now fit again. How does he balance that midfield off? But 3-4-3 suit in Sheffield United, definitely going forward. And really good fight back from then. All sparked by, of course, a fantastic equaliser. Because if Gibbs White probably doesn't get that one, Cardiff might win 1-0. Yeah, you're certainly right. And I've got to talk about Morgan Gibbs White. I mean, I've seen the seen the goals and the highlights of that game at the Cardiff City Stadium. And he was central to it all for Sheffield United. I mean, the first goal is an absolute world. It's a wonderful strike. The second one's crafted by him, which was equally as good a goal, even though it might not look as spectacular from distance, but the build-up play was, was sublime, to be quite quite frank. And the third one as well, all down to him and his creativity again from McGoldrick to stick it away. So, Morgan Gibbs-White is certainly impressing this season. We, we saw signs of promise when he was at Swansea last year. And to be honest, I, I remember watching him in a Carabao Cup game two or three years ago and I thought, he's one to watch this kid, there's something about him and He's certainly proven that this season for Sheffield United. He's in what's been obviously a, a pretty difficult period for the club, but it does seem to be like the, the light at the end of the tunnel is now emerging, certainly on the pitch. It must be said, obviously, that the boardroom issues is, is a story for another day. But Gibbs White, I mean, there's a player in there. And if he carries on in this, this vein of form, what he's doing, five goals and four assists now in 15 games, Wolves are going to be possibly looking to recall him. I mean, I, I was actually watching watching Sky Sports yesterday and, and Paul Merson was actually saying that Wolves were lacking a, a midfielder to run beyond the front men and, and create things. And, and Gibbs-White, for me, they've certainly got a player who's got the potential to do that in the Premier League. So for Sheffield United, they're going to have to hope and pray they can retain his services. But overall, it was an entertaining game. It had a little bit of everything. Like you say, the first goal from Mark Harris for Cardiff was was wonderful. Lovely ball in from Joe Rawls and finished excellently by Harris. And and obviously, United turn things on after the break. Sharp going down, brings the red card, changes the complex of the game. But there was a lot to like about Sheffield United's performance and, and they could have easily had more than the three goals they got. There was quite a quite a few chances in the first half. I think Billy Sharp had a couple that he squandered. And for me, it looks like Paul Heckingbottoms just literally sat them down and said, look, we're, we're going to go back to basics, a way that you do know from past years, yeah, Chris Wilder's gone, but if the players are used to that assessment, they know that it's going to bring results in the short term. I don't see what harm it can do revisiting it. And it's certainly worked because they've managed to dig out now back-to-back wins in the hecking bottom. It's three wins in four, including Jukanovic's ending at the club before and beaten. Back-to-back away wins. The things are starting to, starting to fall into place. And all of a sudden, they're not a million miles off the top six, which proves just how tightly packed this race for the playoffs is. So it's very early days in Paul Herkingbottom's tenure. It's important not to get carried away, but for Sheffield United to have won back-to-back games, it's going to do the confidence a world of good. 
And if Gibbs White continues in this vein of form and continues to show the quality he's got, then then who knows? But Sheffield United could they cement themselves in the mix? There's no reason why they can't. There is genuinely about ten teams for going full place places. Easily, it's all quite realistic as well. Um, and another Anybody one of get another there. one of those teams is probably Middlesbrough as well, especially the way they've started under Chris Wilder. He's having a real impact on performances already. Although they've only won two of the four games, they've dominated in all four. If we're saying there has been a real shift in the style of play, there's more passes. Um, I think against Huddersfield, they played more passes than any game they played in the last eighteen months. Their xG in terms of every game has been better than the opposition's, and well over one goal, um, at least sort of one point two xG per game plus. And they've been also very unlucky. I mean, the draw against Millwall was it was a freak equaliser, so they should have won that game. And the last two performances have been really good against, albeit against the Swansea side that are going through a dip in form right now and and haven't looked particularly impressive. But Middlesbrough look really solid. Chris Wilder's getting the best from some players coming back fit. Dale Fry was on the bench, which is nice to see him back involved as well. He'll come back into the mix to go with Dyke Steele and Bowler, who are back in the team. And it looks a really solid and cohesive unit already for them. Um, Isaiah Jones with a really good finish. Another good player breaking through that, that's impressive. He played at right wing back, which is, you know, for, for continuing more of a winger than a defender, it's good faith from Wilder to play someone who might be a bit naive in that position potentially. Um, nice to see him adding a bit of flair to the forward line. I suppose we've, we've it, it, as I say, I've dis- discussed it recently, like the trend of playing a back three with one right back, two centre backs, and then having a left back at left wing back and then a winger on the other side or vice versa. It's quite in trend at the minute. It's what Borough are doing with Bowler. Dyke Steele's playing as a right centre-back when he's really a right back. So you've essentially still got that full four-man defence as you traditionally would, but you get to play another winger further higher up the pitch. And perhaps if you've got a more defensive sound full-back, it suits them as well. So that's working for Middlesbrough. And they just look solid. I do wonder if they might go for a goalkeeper in January. Um, Luke Daniels in goal at the minute having ousted Joe Lumley who's someone I've never been overly convinced about I do wonder if I don't think Luke Daniels has really a, ever been a, a consistent number one at championship level so I wonder if they might go for a goalkeeper in January as one of those positions but we're already seeing only like four games in and two weeks three weeks into the Chris Wilder era he's starting to have an impact already and, and Borough looking good going forward yeah, they are. They're looking a lot better, a lot lot more complete as a team, I would say. They've got more structure to them and more of an identity. And We we predicted, didn't we, that Chris Wilder would go in there and make an impact. And like you say, while the results haven't been amazing and outstanding to look at, the performances have been there. And that, that's the thing. They played really, really well in that first game against Millwall and were held. Then they had the defeat to Preston, which was a big shock. And I thought they were excellent at Huddersfield, particularly in the first half. Really played well there and and they've beaten a Swansea side who have been, although a little bit of hit and miss, we know what they're capable of on their day. So he is certainly getting a tune out of them very early on, and it, it's what I expected. I thought he'd go in there and certainly stamp his authority on things very quickly. And like you say, this this playoff race that is developing, they're, they're very much in with a chance. They're up to ninth now. They're only five points off the uh, off the top six following Stokes' win on, on Sunday afternoon. So... They're certainly not a million miles away. But in what what is going to be a race that seemingly, you would think, unless anything drastic happens, is going to go right down to the wire between a whole host of teams. 
a Chris Wilder side is guaranteed to be in the mix. We know what he does. We know what he's capable of. If they can recruit well in January, three or four good players to just strengthen things, like you say, the goalkeeper department might be somewhere they look at. Maybe for me, I think possibly they need another striker. I do think they need that that top scorer that's going to come in and, and score on a regular basis. But overall, they look solid and they're proving a tough nut to crack. And for me, if I was to be asked to, to stick a late runner in there in sort of a team that's come up through the season so far, I think Middlesbrough will be the one. I think they've got every chance of getting into there and gate crashing that top six. And considering, albeit they, they did have a good run under Neil Warnock, I think he went four or five on the trot that he won. They, they did start slowly for where we predicted that they'd be. So if Middlesbrough were to get up there under Chris Wilder, it would probably want to be the stories of the season, even though we've not even reached the halfway mark yet. But so far, so good. They're looking good. They're looking strong and displaying all the characteristics you would expect for Chris Wilder team. Yeah, I'd be intrigued to see how they look after January in particular, because I do yeah. think there'll be a three or four potentially added, as Neil Walk alluded to in his uh, final press conference. Penalty, do you think, on Jamie Patterson? Uh, I don't know. It's a tough one. Oh, well, <laughs> I think I'd probably be inclined to say no, really. No, I don't think so either. A little bit soft, I thought. Mm. I've seen him given. But I think I me, agreed with Joby not on this occasion. Um assessment of not a dive and also not a penalty. Like That is possible. They're not mutually exclusive. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, it's, it's just one of those, isn't it, where you've seen them given, but on the balance of it, looking at it, it probably wasn't worthy of, of the referee pointing to the spot. So for me, he got it right. Yeah, absolutely. Nottingham Forest 2, Peter Brunel. Really solid again for, for Steve Cooper and, and Forrest. But first, I think I think we need to have a little bit of chat about Peterborough because we've, we, we, we've not gone on in-depth on them for, for a few weeks. And they are really poor at the moment. And for me, I look at the recent strategic um, decision-making. Why have they given Darren Ferguson a new three-year contract? I don't really understand that. This is what I've been struggling to get I'm my head not, around. I'm not a fan of sacking managers or anything daft, and I'm not saying you should go or anything daft like that, but their away form is absolutely horrific and is showing no sign of improvement. They've got the least number of points in the championship on the road. They've scored the fewest amount of goals on the road and they've conceded the most and are already five points from safety. Now, for me, looking at this, what I would point to is Peterborough Club that used to yo-yo between the championship and league one quite regularly. It's been a while since they were in the championship recently. It's been a long time. It's nine been a while. Years. Nine years. Now, if you're Darren McAntony, given how long it's taken to get back there when you were yo-yoing before, I'm a little bit surprised that he's been so quick to commit to a new contract. Why not see how things play out a little bit? Because I don't think Darren Ferguson is particularly a manager that has ever proven himself at championship level. I think he's a good League One manager. But I don't think he's ever proven himself at championship level. So it's not like you're investing in a coach that's overachieved. I think Peterborough in League One should always be a club looking to get promoted. So to have not done it for nine years, yes, Ferguson's got you up. But they're so bad away from home and they're not even amazing at home either. I just thought he might have been a bit more ruthless. He, he cuts, comes across to me as quite a clinical businessman. Who, 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 when, when it needs to be done, he could be ruthless. And this isn't a very ruthless... It feels like an emotional decision to give this new contract. I don't particularly dislike Darren Ferguson. I don't think he's proven himself as a championship manager to earn a three-year contract for a club that 
realistically should be somewhere between League One and the Championship. And so he's not massively overachieving. They're in the relegation zone and you've rewarded him a new contract. I don't quite understand that one for me. No, I didn't. And at the time when it was announced, I, I went through some of the comments from the from the Peterborough fans and they were delighted by it. They were absolutely chuffed to bits by it. And obviously, he is a bit of a cult hero, Darren Ferguson at London Road. He's been there, what, three or four times now? Fitness he seems to have gone, gone, come back, gone, come back. He's had endless spells there. And obviously, he's a, he's a popular character with all that he's done for the club over the years. But realistically, I mean... What was the point of Peterborough getting promoted, in a sense, to just go about things like this and play like this? You, you've you mentioned there the away form that is obviously absolutely horrific. They've only won one away game all season. That was at Hull and was struggling at the time. Away, uh, including their home form as well. They've scored one goal in their last seven games. One goal in Tell seven. Tell you what. The people who were betting on Johnson Clark Harris as their top goal scorer, Dark Horse, they're, they're, not getting, they're not getting a return on that money anytime he, soon. He was, actually, he was actually the last man to score for Peterborough. When, when you break it down, Peterborough have not scored a goal since the 2nd of November. I think all Just the attacking players, ago. apart from probably Sir Ricky Dembele, have been a disappointment. They, they have, I would agree with that. They've not, they've not been firing on all cylinders like I expected to, because I think when we did our predictions at the start of the season, Peterborough were the side that we tipped to finish highest of the three that had come up. And we were pointing to we were pointing to that forward line that obviously excelled so well last season in League One, and they added Jack Marriott to it, and obviously he knows his way to goal at this level. He knows his way so, to the treatment table as well at the minute. He does. He certainly does. We we know that only too full well, don't we, from past experiences with Jack Marriott? But there we go. That's a conversation for another day. But I mean, one goal in seven games. It's just not good enough. You're not going to you're not going to win games of football doing that. Stating the obvious, but how does he rectify that? I mean, he's got the players that really should be doing better for me. Mm. They proved it in League One that they are good players on the day. Dembele, like you say, is probably the only one that can emerge with real credit. But has he still got another gear to go through? I would argue, possibly yes. Thinking about think a team, is, he, he would he would yeah, have that extra gear. I most think probably, it, I think it's it's probably the team. It's just. It's just really, really poor for Peterborough for me. Because when you look at it as well, even when they've won games, I think half of them have been via goals in the very, very last minute, which there's nothing wrong with that, but it proves they've had to keep going and going and going. They've not really been comfortable aside from the 3-0 win over Birmingham. Uh, yeah, the Birmingham one sticks in my mind as the only one where I think they've, yeah. they've really dominated and, and impressed. And that's the thing. They went into that game having lost four in a row and then they came out on the other side of another four games without a win. There's no no level of consistency. They've only managed back-to-back wins this season once. The longest unbeaten run they've had is two games. There's no consistency to their play. And I hate to be harsh and I hate to be to be to be cruel to be a fact, but I just can't see them staying up. Like you say, they leak goals for absolute fun. They're not scoring goals. I'm sorry, but that that only spells one thing to me, and that that is relegation. So, to reward Darren Ferguson with a a long contract is, quite frankly, in my opinion, very very risky and and quite ludicrous. To be honest with you, I appreciate he's a bit of a hero, at Peter, and the fans do like him. That was the that was the gauge I got from when it was announced. The comments were overly overwhelmingly positive, but if you're just going to lose every game. 
what was the point of getting promoted back into the championship? They've not. It's not as if they're really showing any real level of ambition and getting after teams. And I mean, yeah, there's a long, long way to go. Stranger things have happened, but at the minute, it doesn't look good. Thirty goals conceded away from home this season already. They've lost ten of their eleven away games. I think it's, with the, the bulk diabolical. of managers that are available on the market as well, I do think there are better managers out there that could come in, would be attracted enough to go to Peterborough in the Championship and could get more out of this squad. That 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 is yeah. my honest belief at the moment. So that's for me also where it, it I just don't really understand the thinking there to commit so early no, whilst in the bottom three or probably just outside actually when they did because of Hull's recent run. Um, but even so, they're only teetering on the edge, so... Strange one. Forest good again under Cooper. Um, latest goals, but it was a game they were always in control of. You, it, it sensed a matter of when rather than if. Um, James Garner back in the team in a in a more advanced midfield role and impressing. Lovely ball from um, Brennan Johnson has to be said for for that opening goal, which somehow grabbed and missed from a yard and back heeled it into Garner's path for the goal. Jack Colback again, Mister Versatile Swiss Army knife, um, playing at left back in the absence of Max Lowen. Another win for for Forest as they continue their assault to be part of this this very big patch of teams that, that fancy the playoffs. Um, Blackpool nil, Luton free. Blackpool on a bit of a dip after a run of no wins in six now for them under Neil Critchley, but I want to talk about Luton mainly, who are finally making good of their dominance and their chances and making them count. And I think a big problem for Luton this season has been they've not had an array of goal scorers. The goal scorers have... If I, if I said to you, Luton have won 2-0, two different scorers who scored, you're going to go Harry Cornick and Adebayo. No one's scoring yep. really outside of those. So it was nice to see Sonny Bradley get on the score sheet and uh, Jordan Clark as well. Adebayo, of course, with a back post header as well. They need more goal scorers. So if they can get... they've got, I do think they've got players that can score goals. I would think Onya Dimmer can get, you know, some chipping with some goals. And although he's not playing that regular at the minute, Jordan Clark, another one. Maybe um, Luke Berry from midfield for example. So they need other options to score some goals, don't they? Yeah, Jordan Clark's beginning to turn the screw though. He's got two in his last two now. Got an assist at Blackpool as well. So he's starting to to join the attacking party, so to speak. But no, for, it was a it was a huge win for Luton and one that they desperately needed because, like you said, they'd been on a dip in recent weeks. They'd gone four games without a win. They'd only scored one goal in that in that spell as well, which was obviously a bit of a concern. But to go to a place like Blackpool, who yeah, they've had a they've had a bit of a dip in recent weeks, but they've still overall been very very good since getting promoted back to the championship last season. So it's a really really uplifting result for Luton, and and they've got to capitalise on that now. They've got to take that into obviously what is a very very busy period. We know this uh, this time of year is relentless; it's game after game. So they've got to build on it. And looking at their upcoming fixtures, I'm just getting them up now. When you when you look at it for Luton Town moving forward, going into obviously like I say is a a very, very hectic period for, for any side. You look at what they've got coming up. They they go to, they've got Fulham at home next, really tough one. Then they go to Reading a week before Christmas. Then they've got Bristol City at home, then Swansea away, and then Coventry away on New Year's Day. That is quite a tough ask. That's a tough set of fixtures. That I mean, Fulham are in a little bit of a blip of late, not really firing on, on full cylinders, but Swansea away won't be easy. Coventry away won't be easy. So, it's going to be a defining period, I think, for Luton. I think this could give us a good indicator of where they're at, what's uh, around the corner. But credit where it's due, really good win for them at the weekend. We've got to build on that and, and uh, hopefully, like you say, try and get more players amongst the goals. I feel like if they, 
push themselves and invest in a really good striker. I think they, they could be one that could catapult, but they're also one that I think if they don't, they could just sort of fall into mid-table obscurity, which is still a good... Yeah. You know, let's not forget where Luton have come from. I'm not suggesting that would be a bad season, but no. I think with what some people perhaps expected, I mean, I had them in eighth, I think it was at the start of the season. So I just think that that, that little bit of extra quality, it depends how ambitious the board wants yeah. to be, but let's also not lose track of where Luton have come from either. Uh, final game for us this weekend, Bristol City 1, Derby County 0. Alex Scott started at right wing back in his second uh, with his second goal of the season. That that one separated the two sides. Big win for the Robins, really, that these are the sort of games they need to win. Home form's been pretty decent after they finally ended that run of eight million games without a win at Ashton Gate. Um, the, the home form's been pretty decent since then, so that's good. Derby had some ch- chances, to be fair, to drag themselves level. Uh, Ravel Morrison screwing a volley just wide. Liam Thompson's still impressing in central midfield for them. The next off the, the conveyor belt for them, which is going to be vital for them as they try and rebuild the club. But lack of goals is the problem. And off the pitch, still waiting for a buyer. There's been a, you know, a few more murmurings that there's some hope they will find a buyer by January, which is when you know the administrators are, are comfortable that they can run the club until. But we've still not got anyone who's reached the the period of exclusivity yet, which is where a deal's close to being agreed and the checks are going through. So a little bit concerning, I suppose, off the field still. Yeah, it's it's becoming a bit of a bit of a sorry state of affairs, really. You can't help but feel sorry for the supporters in all of this because great turnout from the Derby as fans as well in that away end Ashton Gate of the weekend. Oh, absolutely! They continue to travel well. They continue to attract good crowds and. I was just going to say, at the end of the day, Derby County is a big football club. It really is. It shouldn't be in this position that it's in. They were challenging year after year to get into the Premier League, knocking on the door, and and now that is absolutely light years away. And it, it's frustrating because obviously they beat Bournemouth three two not long ago. They got a very respectable draw away at Fulham, and then obviously lost it so late on against QPR on Monday night, and then lost one nil at Bristol City. But again. It's such fine margins in them defeats. They've still only only lost all but one of their games by one goal this season. It's so, so tight. So you've got to give credit to Wayne Rooney's players because they're not, for all of the troubles that they're receiving and things like that, they're not being hammered by anybody. They're not taking any batterings. But it's just they're, they're lacking that spark to win games and that's ultimately what's what's going to cost them. It's... It's effectively game over already, in my opinion. I really can't see them clawing this back. Even if they went on a remarkable run, it would take something else. So they're gonna—they are unfortunately going to be relegated. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But it's just those such fine margins. But at the same time, I think in the circumstance of what's going on in the background, Wayne Rooney and his players still deserve a hell of a lot of credit for how they've how they've applied themselves, how they've gone into games. And let's be honest, against Bristol City at the weekend, I think Bristol City deserved the win. They were the better side, but Derby certainly weren't disgraced. No, they could have got a point out of that one, really. Um, the way they've galvanised and still blooding the youngsters, because that is the future of this football club going forward. It's been oh, really, really impressive, but I think I think twenty points is just it's just not achievable. It's impossible, to, to isn't it? That back. Yeah, absolutely. So the big focus for them is making sure they they find a buyer and they are in League One next season, ultimately. Three draws to go through. Um, I watched Fulham Bournemouth, obviously, is the, the headline game of the weekend on Friday night. Really good game. Really interesting tactical battle between Parker and um, Marco Silva. Bournemouth goal, so, so good. So, so good. So clever. So, so it, you know, innovative, 
clearly so much work's gone on that on the training ground, using it almost as a set piece, which, you know, you love creative coaching like that, right? Certainly I do. Really impressive. Steve Cook deserves a mention as well with a heroic double block. Really impressed with him and how he's come back into the fold after being not quite frozen out, but certainly taken out of the team by Scott Parker, looking for a different route forward. And he's reminded, I think, a few people of his quality in the last few weeks. Barnsley won Huddersfield 1. Um, improved performance from Barnsley, but draws are not going to get them out of trouble, I'm afraid. Um, and they need to start picking up some wins. That said, having Carton Morris back from injury is going to be a big help for them. Huddersfield keep dropping points from winning positions. And if they want to make the top six, they've got to stop doing that, especially away from home. And then Reading won Hull City 1. Pretty much an awful error from from Luke Southwood denied um, Reading the win in this one. Just completely cocked up Malik Wilkes's shot, which gave them the equaliser and a, and a point. And that about runs off this weekend's analysis. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. We'll round off this week's pod as always with our shots and bankers for the coming weekend. George, what have you got for me? Well, for a banker this weekend, I'm going to go for... Oh, it's, it's a difficult one this week, it must be said. There's some tough ones that uh, could be chosen. But for a banker, I'm going to go for Nottingham Forest to win at Swansea. I'm going to go for Steve Cooper to come uh, go back to the Liberty and haunt his former club. So that's my banker. I'm going to go for Forest to win. In terms of a shock, I'm going to go brave again. I fancy Blackburn to stun Bournemouth. I really do. Blackburn going well at the minute. Bournemouth, even though a very, very good point at the weekend on Friday night at Fulham, just stuttering a little bit from the standards they'd set earlier on. And I could see Blackburn in the form there and causing a bit of a shock. So this weekend for the Bank of Nottingham Forest, for the shock Blackburn Rovers. Very interesting. I I was going to suggest or, or ask if I could have Forrest to win at Swansea as my shock, but given it's your banker, that's probably not going to be allowed, I'm going to assume. I have got a backup. Well, well, it could be considered as a shock, I suppose, but I'm just feeling extra confident about the chances with the way things are going at the minute. I'll go different because I think it'll look weird if I my shock is your banker ultimately. So I'm going to go for Huddersfield to beat Coventry because Huddersfield's home form has been pretty good this season. Um, six wins in nine, I think it is for them. Coventry nowhere near as good away from home as at home. And as we discussed earlier, uh, one winning six are there on a bit of a dip. So Huddersfield to beat Coventry. And my bank is going to be West Brom to beat Reading. I think West Brom, I'm not saying they've turned a corner, but I do think they were much, much better at the weekend. Reading, albeit still fighting hard with the points deduction, injuries still. I just I just wonder how much they're going to be able to trouble West Brom at the Hawthorns. And, I feel like this could be a, a, a regulation win for the Baggies, despite their recent struggles, which they'll need. I just thought I was I was pleasantly surprised by how I thought West Brom performed at the weekend. So I'm going to go for them as my banker to beat Reading and my shockers said Huddersfield to beat Coventry at the John Smith Stadium. And that rounds off this week week that rounds off this week's episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed the podcast, please do. Make sure you share the podcast on Twitter and Instagram where you can follow us at ChampChatPod24 and make sure, of course, you are subscribed to this podcast feed so you get our latest podcasts every week as soon as they go live. You can also support this podcast through our Ko-Fi page where you can make a one-off donation of just £3 to help towards our monthly and weekly costs, which we love to do to bring you uh, championship content every single week. So, if you do feel the uh, the urge to chuck us a coffee that way, that would be much appreciated as always. Catch you again very soon. Enjoy the rest of your week.